praise God for um, what he did. There's still more to come in the Ecuador story, but um, yeah, that was all the video. Do we have more video? No. Okay. Next week we'll see some pictures and stuff like that. If you want to know more about um, what God is doing in Ecuador, um, then you could talk to any of the team members and you'll be hearing their stories in um, the weeks to come. Boy, I don't have much time left here, so we're going to jump in. 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to read the word and then three thoughts. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses uh, 8 through 11. This is God's word. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast to him. Be the power forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. So we've been talking, as you've, if you've been following uh, the, the, the message of 1 Peter at all, or if you've, been looked, if you've looked at 1 Peter at all, one of the things you realize is that it talks a lot about the suffering that's to come, the persecution that's to come. But for the first time in, um, in this letter, Peter starts talking about the adversary, the enemy that we have. And so I just want to pull out three thoughts here. The first thing, as we just kind of follow the, the, the flow of the text, the first thing is that um, the devil is, dis- well, here's, don't write this down, but the devil is described as a lion. I know Chelsea talked about um, Jesus being the lion, which he is the lion of Judah. But the Bible also describes in, in this particular section, describes the devil as being a lion. And so the, the first thought is this, when a lion, when the lion prowls, the sheep can't sleep. It's a, it's a simple principle. When you've got a bunch of sheep together, if a lion is prowling around, the sheep don't say, okay, you know what, I'm going to go to sleep right now. It just doesn't make any sense. Verse 8, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He says he's a hungry lion and he's wanting to eat somebody and he wants to eat the people of God. It's very simple. That's what we have going on is that there's an enemy described as a lion who's trying to devour us. One of the things that we know about if you've ever been in a context of um, what, what makes a devil so much more dangerous is that there's a sense of desperation because he has already been wounded. You know, at the cross, Jesus Christ took the fangs out of Satan. At the resurrection, he pronounced the coming, pending doom of our enemy. And so the lion who roars around has already been wounded, right? Severely, almost mortally, but is waiting for his demise. That's what makes an animal so much more dangerous. You know, when when someone is is wounded, when someone is, is hurting, when someone's, when, when someone's and pain has been inflicted to a person, it makes them that much more desperate. And when someone is desperate, they're that much more dangerous. You ever see this? And you ever played it in sports? If you're playing, uh, if you've ever played basketball, there's a team that they're down by like 10 points. And it's like the last two minutes of the game. They're desperate. So they just start chucking up three pointers. That's it. They don't care about defense. They're counting on you to miss. They get the rebound. They chuck it down. They just shoot up three pointers. And that's the kind of people who are dangerous. If we're watching football, your team is up by 21 points. It's the fourth quarter, and they say, you know what? Forget, uh, forget blockers. Let's just everyone go out for long, long passes. They just go for the end zone every time. If they're desperate, when someone is desperate, they become that much more dangerous. You ever fought an animal before? I fought an animal before, and I realized that the more desperate they are, the more dangerous they can be. So my first year down here, when I moved to Orlando from Virginia, 
I was living in this place that uh, my friends called it looked like a crack house. It wasn't a, a, a you know, it wasn't kind of place that would ever be featured on cribs or anything like that. Maybe extreme makeover on the before side. This is like a jacked up house, and this is this needs repair. So I was living in this kind of a house, and it was like my first week down here. And I was talking with one of my buddies from back home, and we we're just talking on the phone. I was sitting on in the living room, which was also the dining room, which was also the kitchen. And so I was sitting there, and I was uh, just kind of sitting on a uh, on a chair, and I was looking at the wall and. I saw this massively gigantic lizard, huge, like, I mean, massive lizard crawling on my wall. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And so I said, yeah, Thomas, I'll call you back. And I hung up, and I was like, shoot, what am I going to do with this thing? How am I going to get this guy out of here? And so I had a broom. I was like, I could knock him down and try and shoot him out, but what if I knock him down and then he runs into some corner and I have no idea where he is? That's scary. Even though he was, like, massive, there's a chance that he could be hiding. So I said, well, if I try and knock him into a trash can, that might work. But what if he jumps on me? I, don't, I didn't know much about lizards. We don't have lizards in Virginia, only at the pet store. So I was like, man, what is this guy? And so I, I thought about knocking him into like a little trash can. I was like, but if he jumps on me, then it's game over because he might like bite me and his claws were huge. And I said, oh, what am I going to do? So I had um, this raid cockroach killer because I had a lot of cockroaches also in this place. So I said, I've got some cockroach killer. I'm going to spray that. I'm going to put a trash can on it and spray that junk until it, like, shoes his way down. And so I unloaded, like, the entire can of raid on this guy, just spraying it. And this Goliath fell into the trash can. I was like, yes, I'm going to take him down. And so I, he was in the trash can. I was like, all I have to do is um, just throw it out. And I, I picked up the trash can. And I was like talking trash to it. I was like, yeah, you thought she's so bad now. Look at you. Suck it. Don't mess with me. Right? So I was like t- taking this trash can. I was going to throw it out. And all of a sudden, this just starts moving. I was like, oh, my gosh. What's wrong with He wasn't dead. He was morphed. He was deeply and heavily wounded, but he wasn't yet dead. And so he's like flailing all of his like appendages and his tail is going crazy. And I'm like, oh, and I'm like freaking out. So I took this rain. I just shh until it died. And then I threw it out. And throughout the apartment complex, everyone talked about the story of how David defeated Goliath that day. <laughs> but I learned something that you and I learned, that you also learned. That when an animal is wounded, they become desperate. And when they're desperate, they become that much more dangerous. See, we have an enemy who has been wounded at the cross in three day, on the third day in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. An enemy who's wounded. But he's fighting and he's roaring, prowling around like a, uh, like a lion, looking for someone to devour. And he's on a Christian diet, and that's the kind of people that he wants to devour. The purpose of the enemy. There's a, see, there's always been this cosmic conflict that's been going on since the beginning of time for the, for the glory, for glory in the hearts of man and woman. And it started in the Garden of Eden. You see, it was, it was Adam and Eve, right? And the enemy says, look, God says, hey, this is what you've got. You've got all these trees, but one tree don't touch. All these trees are yours, but one tree don't touch. And so here comes the enemy, and he blows this one tree up, and he says, look at what God is withholding from you. He takes Adam and Eve's eyes off of all that has been given and just focuses on this one tree. And ultimately the purpose is, can you really trust God when he's withholding this from you? And so from the, from the beginning of time, this cosmic battle has been set up. The glory of God fighting in your heart and in mine. In every human heart, who will we worship? Who will we serve? Whose way will we go? And the enemy, the devil, will do everything that he can in order to keep us from the plan of God because he, he, <clears throat> he knows that the plan of God leads right to his demise. 
And if he's a defeated enemy, he wants to take as many people with him as he can. And so from the garden onward, it's the same thing with Job. Right? Why don't you curse God? Because if you curse God, then you've come to my side. Right? Same thing with, he said to Jesus in the temptation narrative, in the desert, in the wilderness. He says to Jesus, hey, you know what? You don't have to, you don't have to do all these things that your father said to do. Just bow down and worship me and I'll give you everything. I'll give you everything. It's a battle for the supremacy of who will we worship. And the battlefield is our hearts. <laughs> so he says it to Jesus. Same thing with Peter. Right? The plan of God runs right through Calvary. Jesus Christ has to go to the cross and die in order for the redemption of the world. And so here's Peter. Peter says, look, Jesus, you don't really have to die. And so what does Jesus say to him? He says, get behind me what? He says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Because anyone who's opposed to God is part of the enemy. See, in our hearts, there's this war going on. Will we follow God or will we not follow God? Because whatever else we follow that's not God is an enemy of God. And so the enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour in order that we might be incapacitated from doing the work of God. And so he roars around and he wants us to sin. He wants us to sin in order that our lives might be destroyed. But ultimately what happens when we fall into sin, if we fall into sin, it, 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 the language here, it says the enemy in verse 8, your enemy, the devil. That language, really, it's a, it's a legal term that stands for the prosecuting attorney. Okay, what do prosecutors do? They try and show that someone is guilty. And I've talked to these people who have come back from synod, came back from Ecuador, and I asked them to write these reports and write testimonies and write the things that they've learned. And so many of them are saying, you know what, as soon as I come back, I begin to feel like I, I can't do these things that God's called me to do. I feel like I'm not able. Someone else should have. It's kind of like, like what Chelsea was sharing. I'm not able. Maybe somebody else should have done it. Why? Because we have an enemy that's trying to point us out to our guilt and to tell us you can't do this. To make us disbelieve the good news that in Christ, uh, he is everything that we need and that we can be all that God has called us to be. But the enemy wants us to take our eyes off of those things and onto our failures. That's what, that's what he did with Judas, isn't it? Judas fails. He sells Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And it says Satan entered into Judas. And instead of responding like Peter, okay, Peter went in. In his failure, he went to Jesus. Judas went the other way. And he was so filled with condemnation and guilt and shame and fear that he went and he hung himself and he killed himself. And his guts were splattered all over the field. And that's what Satan wants to do with our lives, is he wants to kill and to steal and to destroy. And he uses all of these different means in order to get us to that place. And so this is the first thing. We need to be alert. Right? We have to understand that the reason why a lot of these things happen, right, it's not a coincidence that you go, start getting into arguments, you get impatient, you, you, you fight with your family when you come back from these spiritual experiences because you have an enemy who wants to who let you get blessed and say, you know what, I'm going to go change the world. And then you come back and you fail and you say, you know what, maybe I can't change the world. And he laughs and he scoffs because he's prowling around, roaring, looking for us to devour, to render us incapacitated from doing the work of God. So therefore, we understand that when the lion prowls, we can't sleep, right? We have to be alert. Second thing here, second thing. Victory comes by resisting and remembering. Here, verse, uh, verse 9, resist him, <clears throat> standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. How do we find victory? Okay, we have to understand that we, ha- we can't sleep, and right? we have to be awake, we have to be alert. Why aren't we? And if we understand all of the schemes of the enemy, if we understand the way that the enemy works, why is it that we don't fight? 
a few years back, many years back, um, uh, at one of our youth meetings, Olive gave, my, my wife Olivia gave this talk about spiritual warfare. And she talks about like knowing the tactics of the other team, knowing the tactics of the enemy helps us to overcome. And then she showed a picture of the New England Patriots and their coach, a coach named Bill Belichick, and their shady quarterback, Tom Brady, who were part of this, this, this uh, thing called Spygate, where they were stealing plays from the other team. And everyone was like, well, no wonder they're so good. They know exactly what the other team is going to do. Oh, we know exactly what our enemy is going to do also. So why don't we stand firm? Why don't we resist? Why don't we fight and overcome? Here's why. Two movie quotes, usual suspects. The greatest trick the devil ever played was to make us believe that he doesn't exist. A lot of times we don't believe the devil exists. We don't really believe that there is a cosmic foe, a supernatural enemy who fights against us and wants to defeat us. We chalk things up to circumstance or it was a bad day or whatever it is. And, and instead of recognizing that there's an enemy that we can fight against with spiritual weapons, we think it's us and we beat ourselves up or we think it's them and we beat them up. Greatest trick the devil ever played was to make us believe that he doesn't exist. Second quote from The Lion King. You've seen this movie and you've heard this song. In the jungle, the mighty jungle, the lion sleeps tonight. In the jungle. We think, when we think the lion is sleeping, we think it's okay. Hush, my darling, don't fear, my darling. The lion sleeps tonight. We think the devil is inactive in our lives. We're not going to fight him. But the image here is that the devil is prowling around like a lion, looking for someone to devour. He's looking to devour us. He's looking to devour our children, our family. And he preys on our weakness. Jesus fasting 40 days, so he comes and he brings food, says, you can make this food, satisfy your need, because he meets us. Jesus didn't have any temptations as it it relates to sin, but he was hungry. He knows where you're weak. He knows where we're weak. And so immediately, that's why you get attacked in that area. When you come back from your spiritual high, you struggle with alcohol, then he'll attack you in that. You struggle with sensuality, then he'll attack you with that. He doesn't play fair because wounded, desperate, hurting people don't fight fair. They do whatever they can to win. They do whatever they can to wound you. That's our enemy. And so how do we overcome? Victory comes by resisting. Resist him standing firm in the faith. Notice what it does. It doesn't say standing firm in your faith. Why? Because our faith often falls. You know who stood firm in his faith and fell? Peter did. He said, you know what, Jesus? Everyone else is going to fall away, but not me. I'm going to stand firm. Uh, uh, to, To the point of death, I will follow you. Standing firm in his faith, but his faith ended up failing. It says, stand firm in the faith, the faith that has been passed down through generations, the faith that's found in the word of God. That's what we have to put our faith in, in the gospel of Christ shown in the word of God. Because the enemy tempts us. He wants, to, he, he, he wants to limit our effectiveness and limit our ability. And so he's looking to devour us. I, I've been um, preaching at a bunch of different retreats in, 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 in the mission field this summer. And uh, one particular retreat I was at, uh, there's a bunch of people I was getting ready to preach. And I told this to, to Olivia later but i said i've never felt so nervous before preaching in my life well maybe i have but maybe not in the past few years and as i was trying to dissect what was going on there's all kinds of thoughts that were coming into my head and all kinds of accusations and lies that the enemy was given to me who are you to talk to these people about loving god who are you to talk about laying your life down for the sake of christ and who are you to, to say, this is what it means to follow? Who are you to, to say all these things? And there's a lesson here that I want to share with you, that we can't keep 
these thoughts from swirling around, but we can't keep them from nesting in our head, right? It's like, it's like you can't keep the birds from flying around, but you don't have to let them build a nest in your head. So these negative thoughts are coming. They're swirling around me. Right? It's obviously right before I go up to, on, the, on the stage to preach. And I just started, I just, this, resistance, standing firm in the faith. Just what is the faith? What is it that, what is it that I believe? And I just began to declare, I said, you know what, Satan, you are a defeated enemy. I come in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know that everything that you say about me is true. I have failed. I have messed up. I do fall into temptation. But the blood of Jesus Christ is greater. He at the cross has defeated you. The one who's living in me is much greater than you. The one living in me is greater than anything in this world. And if he is for me, then nobody can be against me. Just started spitting truth back at him. And at the end of the day, I said, I will rise and I will preach the word of God because he has called me to this. And no matter what you do, you cannot stop me. Get behind me, Satan, because I've got work to do. And then I just heard God say at that point, he said, I'll take it from here. And so I I wrote on my hand this little thing. It says, he, God, is greater than I. Constantly reminding myself, wherever, even in Ecuador, you you saw these pictures, but even in Ecuador, times where after a long day, I just felt drained. I was tired. Like, I don't know if I want to preach. And then our body worship team comes up. They sing, worthy is the lamb. And I get all fired up. I was like, yeah, this is why we live. Worthy is the lamb, seated on the throne. Crown you now with many crowns. You reign victorious. And if that's him, good night. How can I not? How can we not resist? How can we not stand? Can we not go for it? Resist him. The second thing, remembering. He says, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. You're not alone. You know what? If you're a child of God, this is the fellowship of the suffering heart. This is the fellowship of suffering. This is what Paul talks about in Philippians, to know him in his sufferings because every single child of God has been called to suffer because we're living in enemy territory. We have an enemy who's fighting against us. There will be suffering. There will be persecution in this life. And as we go through that, right, as we go through persecution, we think about our brothers throughout the world. You know, a few weeks ago, <clears throat> one of my buddies who's pastor in, in California is preparing his sermon Saturday, and he called me up, and he's like, hey, D.L., you know, I'm uh, wondering if you have the, this sermon illustration that, uh, you know, we heard together, and I, and I was like, I don't have it, but let me ask, and so I called my buddy in Baltimore, and I called my buddy in Seattle, and I said, hey, y'all have this, and they said, we don't have it, and so I talked to a couple people in Chicago, talking to all these people, and as we're, we're talking and texting, um, the last thing that we would all say to each other, hey, I'm praying for you as, a, as you bring the gospel tomorrow, right? Bring it boldly. I don't, I don't know how prepared you feel. I don't know how good you feel, but just bring it. We're praying for you. When I, get, when I get ready on Sunday mornings in my office, I'm just praying. I'm praying for us. I'm praying for you all. I'm praying for me. I'm also praying for my friends who are preaching. I'm praying for churches throughout the world. Sometimes I pray for local churches because I need to be reminded that it's not just us here. Right? We're part of something so much more. And as you go through these sufferings, as you go through the hardship, remember your brothers and sisters who are fighting for the gospel. Remember your pastors in the DR. Remember your pastors in Ecuador. Remember the pastors that you met in Jordan. Remember the people that you met in China. As Pastor Albert leaves uh, his last Sunday, remember him as you go through your suffering and know that he's fighting the same battle that you and I are fighting. That he's fighting, standing firm in the faith that he will remember us and he'll remember the brothers and sisters that he has. Fight together because we know that we're not alone. 
Right? Remember one another. This is how we achieve victory, re- realizing that it's not just, you know, I, I, sometimes I tell stories of, of, of the suffering saints throughout the world to remind us that, one, we're not alone, but two, our, a lot of these things that we go through are not really that bad. I mean, they're bad to you. Like we say, puppy, oh, it's just puppy love. But to puppies, puppy love is really just love. I understand that. But some of the things that we face in light of what God has told us, one, we know that this is our reality. But two, we know that there are others who are fighting and going through the same thing. And three, if you're in a church, you're in a house church particularly, you are not alone. People are praying for you, praying that you'll stand firm, fighting for you, that you're not alone. Victory comes by resisting. Victory comes by remembering. Then the last thing. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I'll say this verbatim according to your paper, but what the devil means uses to destroy, right? God uses to strengthen. What God uses to destroy, I'm sorry, what the devil uses to destroy, God uses to strengthen. Verse 10, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So Satan uses this persecution, and the aim, as he seeks to devour a roaring lion, as he seeks to devour, he's seeking to destroy our lives. But on the flip side of that, God is saying, look, what Satan uses for your destruction, I use for your instruction. I use for your construction to build you up. Ultimately, all of these things will not destroy you. They will only serve to strengthen you. That's the purpose of God in your suffering, in your persecution. That doesn't mean, yeah, I'm going to run to where persecution is. But it says, if persecution comes to me by following the will of God, hey, then I'm all right. Because God's got a a far greater plan. This is good. And it's all right. As Chelsea goes into her school, she starts a Bible study. There are a couple ninth graders who said they want to start a prayer meeting in their school. And inevitably, when we move against the kingdom of darkness, God's, God's going to work for us, but the enemy's going to attack us. But we stand firm because we know that that's going to happen. It's not just people in our school who don't like us. It's not just people in your company who don't like you because you start a prayer meeting in your company. It's a supernatural enemy who's fighting to destroy you and to ruin the plans that God has for your life. And yet when you withstand that, it says after you have suffered a little while, it says God is using all of these things to strengthen you, to inform you, to mold you into the person that he wants you to be. Look, I mean, this is great. You feel maybe you're going through this. I don't know. Maybe you're going through persecution. Maybe your family is making fun of you because you follow Christ. You're following the call of God to go somewhere, and people are starting to say, you know what? You're too Jesus freak. You're too hallelujah. You're too too much about him, whatever it is. They say, you know what? You came back this summer. You're a completely different person at school. Or I don't know what happened to you, but you're, you came back, and, and you're praying before your meals, and they start making fun of you. They say, you know what? We're not going to invite you to hang out with us anymore. You're not going to come to our slumber parties. <laughs> I don't know if y'all do that, if like six-year-olds do that, but... You're not going to come to our sleepovers anymore. We're not going to let you play with our toys anymore. Whatever it is, because you follow Christ. Or maybe you're fighting and you're fighting and you're fighting. You just feel beat up. You feel tired because people keep on pushing you down. You're just trying to follow after God and... Your mom makes fun of you. Your, your, your in-laws make fun of you, whoever it is. And you just feel like you're suffering and you're going through persecution. And sometimes you even wonder if it's worth it to keep on going. And I could just quit and no one would notice. 
I could quit and maybe a few people would be sad, but I just go on living life. This is too hard. As you hang your head down, you hear this voice come to you and say, hey, doing a good job. You're going to be all right. Hey, pick your head up. I'm proud of you. Keep on fighting, soldier. You've still got fighting. You look up, and it's not just a soldier. It's not just a corporal. It's not just a lieutenant. It's your commander-in-chief. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while will himself restore you. It's God who comes to you. Not some minion, despicable me. It's not some angel, dude. It's God himself is coming to you. He's saying, hey, you're going to be all right. You're going to be all right. Keep on going. I'm working in your life. Satan wants to destroy. I'm going to employ you to do something greater. Keep on going. Keep on going. Keep on going. And each of these words restore you, make you strong, firm, steadfast. Each of them has a different nuance. I wish I could go into it. I wish I could go into it because it's really powerful, some of the things that, that these four words are saying. And God is going to do that. And he says, this is you know, after you've suffered a little while. I know for, for all of us, any suffering seems like it's too long. When I, when I brush Manny's teeth, it's always top teeth, bottom teeth, ah, spit. Right? Or, yeah, spit in between. So the other day, I was brushing her teeth, and she wasn't really loving it. And so after brushing it, about 10 seconds into it, she's like, Daddy, wait. And she, I took out the toothbrush. She's like, ah. And I was like, no, it's not time to ah yet. I'm not done. Everything seems like it's too long. Everything seems like suffering. But how is it that someone like the Apostle Paul, beaten, whipped 39 times on his back, multiple times, edge of death, starvation, shipwrecked, hungry, famine, beaten, deserted by his friends, deserted by his enemies, hated on in prison, all these things. He can say these are light and momentary troubles. Why? Because in the gospel of Christ, guys, we have this long-term view that gives us a hope that the world can't give. Persecution, suffering to an unbeliever is death, is painful. But to us, it's life, it's hope. Why? Because our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. In light of eternity. In light of eternity who called you to his eternal glory. You know, today is the two-year anniversary that our brother Josh went home to be with the Lord, August 4th, 2011. And sometimes, a lot of times, I think about him. I think about life in light of him. And as, as Isaac shared, and I try and write this testimony without... But the reality is that this is, he's, he, this is our story. And we walk with a limp. We walk broken. But that's who we are. That's our story. I know we want to avoid death as much as possible, but for each of our lives, death has affected us. Either it's Tico or somebody else. For Brother James, it's his brother Kenny. It's all of, it's, it's all of us. That's, that's our story. That's who we are. We can't escape it. A lot of times I think about 
that the, the last moments of his life, and I think about some of the biblical promises. I talk to some people, and some people tell me, you know what, the suffering wasn't long. It was very short for him. And I think about that, those last moments, and I, I can't sing this song without thinking about those words. On that day, when my strength is failing, the end draws near, and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending. 10,000 years, and then forevermore. That's his story, but that's our story also. And one day God's going to call us home. And one day our strength is going to fail. That would be our song. Maybe it's going to be because of persecution. Maybe it's going to be because of natural cause. And maybe it's going to be because of something else. But on that day, when our strength is failing, and draws near and the time has come, in light of eternity, suffer for a little while. Satan wants to destroy us. God wants to use, strengthen Employ us to do the greater work of God. This is our story. A story full of hope, full of life, full of joy. 10,000 years and forevermore. As we um, just pray, I know that our service has gone really long, and I apologize. For those who need to go, at any point you are dismissed to go if you feel like your ride is leaving or or whatnot. But for those who are here, we're going to come to the table, we're going to give our offerings, and then we're going to pray for Pastor Albert. The last three things we'll do today. But as we uh, think about the Word of God and all that God's been doing in us today, take a moment to pray to the Lord God. However, we need to respond. Maybe God's calling us, hey, stand firm, resist the devil. You are victorious. Maybe you need to pray against the lives of the enemy. Come against him in the mighty name of Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. My God is greater, stronger than you are. Live for him. I live in him. I live by him. Live because of him. Maybe for others, I say, you know what? I've been sleeping. I've been sleeping. That's why my life is jacked up. I've been sleeping. The enemy's been having a field day in my life. Causing me to sin. Tempting me to sin, rather. I'm sinning. I'm condemning myself. Y'all, we're not defeated people. We're children of the king. Rise up. Rise up. Don't be sleeping in the light. Rise up. You've got work to do. Grace of God is upon you. The power of God is upon you. Live like a risen child of God. Come on, saints of God. Don't sleep on us. The world needs you. We need you. The church needs you. Rise up, children of God. Children of light. Don't live in darkness anymore. Hear the voice of love. Let's spend a minute, spend two minutes just praying. Lord God, help me. 
Help me. Take me. And let's not only pray for help, but let's make some decisions right now. God, I want to live for you. Live for you. Day by day. Start today. I'm going to go home. I'm going to be in your word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I'm going to be in your word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to remember my brothers. I'm going to remember my sisters. I'm going to fight. I'm going to know that suffering, persecution is the devil's means to destroy, but it's God, your means to strengthen, to restore. Tell me to rise up. Let's pray for a minute, a couple minutes right now. Just ask the Lord, help me. Strengthen me, Lord. Be your man to be your woman. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for giving us this day. Thank you for all that you've allowed us to experience. Thank you that in Revelation, it says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. We thank you for the stories that are shared from Chelsea, from Isaac, from this video, from Tico, from so many others. Pray that you would help us to overcome by the testimony and by the blood of the Lamb that we remember that we honor now as we come to the table of grace. Help us, teach us to examine our hearts now that we might come in a manner worthy of the gospel. Seeking you, desiring you, wanting to love and honor you. Thank you so much. We love you, so help us to love you in a greater way because of this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.